The following resource is from lmpc.org and we're delighted to provide it freely to all. If you feel led to give towards the ministry of Lookout Mountain Presbyterian Church, we welcome you to do so at lmpc.org give. A reading this morning from Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. We are delighted on this Reformation Sunday to be able to welcome Pete Evans uh, to us this morning. The United Kingdom partnership meetings are starting this week in Charlotte, North Carolina, a partnership that we have been able to be a part of from the very start, and we give thanks. Uh, Pete is the lead pastor at Trinity Church Manchester, a church that was planted in the midst of COVID-19 lockdown. It was planted out of City Church Manchester, Trinity, which, which City Church Manchester, Ralph Connington, is preaching this morning in the fellowship hall. Uh, Trinity is working closely with other churches in the city to plant more churches and to prayerfully spark a gospel movement that sees many more people coming to know Jesus for themselves Uh, Pete is married to Hannah. They have two boys, Jack and Owen, and together they have been active, involved in launching and leading three church plants. Uh, Pete has served in pastoral ministry for over a decade now in both the UK and the US, and I am delighted that the partnership exists because I have been able to become friends with Pete, uh, friends with Mount, friends with Trinity Church in Manchester, sharing even during the pandemic, uh, live with their worship, uh, what God was doing among us. So this is partnership and friendship, and it's based on the Word of God. So come preach the Word to us this morning, Pete. Thank you. Well, good morning, everyone. It's, uh, it's great to be here. Thank you so much for having me uh, speak today. Um, I guess you'll have to get used to the accent. I'm sorry, I, I, I can't do what you guys do. Um, uh, uh, I'll try a, a yarl at some point, maybe throw it in there, but, um, but you'll just have to roll with me this morning. It, it's such a privilege to be speaking to you today, uh, it, particularly on this day as uh, we celebrate the Reformation together and we uh, give thanks to God for 130 years of uh, Lookout Mountain prayers. That is um, an amazing thing. We celebrated our, our second birthday recently at Trinity Church, and that, was, that, that felt like a big enough uh, mountain to get over. So 130 is, uh, is a big deal. Um, and, and there's much to give thanks to the Lord for today. Um, but it's also a real privilege for me to speak this morning because of the love that I have for this church. Um, many of you don't know me, but we love you guys in Manchester. We are so grateful uh, for the pastors and staff who've invested so much into us over the past few years. Uh, This is a church that holds a special place 
in the hearts, uh, not just of myself, but also all at Trinity Church. We, we regularly pray for Lookout Mountain Presbyterian Church in our prayer meetings uh, once a month. Um, and so it's just, it's a beautiful thing to be here this morning and to share God's word with you. Paul said uh, to Philemon that uh, Philemon had refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. And that is how I and our church family feel about you all. Uh, we are grateful to God for this church. And so I've been praying that my time opening God's word for us this morning would in some way serve you and, and help you as you have served and helped us. Well, we're in the book of Philippians this morning, chapter one. Uh, to give us some context, the Apostle Paul is writing a letter to uh, this church in Greece that he planted about 12 years previously and who have been faithful partners with him as he travels around the Roman Empire telling people about Jesus. And he says in verses three to five that he always prays for them full of joy because of their partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. That's something I can resonate with him as I, as I pray for you guys um, uh, often. And then once Paul has prayed for them, he tells them his story in verses 12 to 14. And that's where we're gonna spend our time uh, this morning. Just three verses, and what I hope we'll see is one of the reasons why gospel partnership matters. Why it is so beneficial to partner with other churches in different contexts around the world. So uh, let let me pray for us as we come to the word of the Lord and uh, let me ask uh, that he helps us to hear him clearly in these next few moments. Let's pray. Sovereign God, we thank you so much that you graciously speak to us through this word uh, each and every time we open it. Uh, It is a lamp to our feet and a light to our paths. And now, Father, I I ask that um, your spirit would be present amongst us and by the power of the spirit, you would accompany the preaching of the gospel with power so that our hearts would be open, our minds would be open to receive what you have to say to us today and that each of us would leave this morning knowing that we have had an encounter with the living God. And we ask these things in Jesus' name for his glory in the church. Amen. So as, uh, as Brian mentioned, I have two little boys, uh, Jack, who is seven, and Owen, who is five. And uh, all of you who are parents or grandparents here this morning know that sometimes kids have nightmares. Uh, there are monsters in the dark, uh, in their bedrooms, monsters under the bed. Well, what do you tell kids when they're struggling to sleep because they're scared? You tell them, it's not gonna happen. You tell them, sleep well. You don't need to be afraid because monsters don't, going to, don't exist. It's not going to happen. Well, uh, let me take us on a tour this morning of British church history, if you would. Indulge me for a moment. Um, and I guess on Reformation Sunday, that's not completely out of context. Um, Let's start approximately 600 years ago. One of the big reasons why uh, when we open our Bibles this morning they are in English rather than in Latin is because men like John Wycliffe and William Tyndale put their lives on the line so that ordinary men and women like you and I could read God's word for ourselves. 500 years ago, in Oxford, Thomas Cranmer, Hugh Latimer and Nicholas Ridley were burned at the stake for preaching and defending 
sola gratia, sola fide, sola Christus, sola scriptura, sola, soli deo gloria. 400 years ago, men like John Knox, John Owen, Richard Baxter, expounded the scriptures in ways that few have before or since. 300 years ago, men like John Wesley uh, awoke Britain to the gospel again through the ministry of Methodism. George Whitfield ignited the great movement of God across the United States known as the Great Awakening. 200 years ago, men like William Carey and Hudson Taylor launched the World Missions Movement that has seen hundreds and hundreds of millions of people profess faith in Christ across every continent of the globe. And since those days, God has raised up men such as Charles Haddon Spurgeon, C.S. Lewis, John Stott, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. Friends, you will be hard-pressed, even here in Lookout Mountain today, to find a nation with a richer Christian heritage than the United Kingdom. But today, in my city, Manchester, where we have planted Trinity Church, less than 2% of people attend a gospel preaching church. Less than 2% of people. Many kids will have never opened a Bible. Many of the mainline denominations are on the verge of collapse. Uh, the Barna Group, you, you may well have heard of it, it's one of the leading research organizations on faith and culture, have done some work looking at the spiritual beliefs of millennials around the globe. It's Bar Barna's largest ever study with 15,000 respondents worldwide, and uh, when they focused on kids who grew up in church, they discovered that the UK has the lowest proportion of what they term resilient young disciples in the world. What they mean by that is that we in the UK have the lowest percentage of millennials who began in the church and are still going strong with Jesus, just 4%. That means that 96% of those my age have walked away from the church. See, here's my point this morning. Um, despite our history, Despite our heritage, the UK today is indisputably a post-Christian nation. We have become thoroughly secular. Jesus means nothing to the vast majority of people. And you know, we might tell our kids it's never gonna happen so that they sleep well at night, but what British history tells us in Lookout, Lookout Mountain, Tennessee today is that if it can happen there, to a nation with such rich spiritual heritage, then it can happen here too. If it can happen there, it can happen here too. Perhaps some of you would tell me it is happening here too. Which is why I want us to press into Philippians chapter one this morning. Because when many of us think about the reality that culture is changing in the United States, that many, particularly amongst younger generations, seem to be turning away from the church, that to some degree America is rapidly secularizing, when we think about those things, I think many of us feel afraid, don't we? Afraid for our future, afraid about opposition that we may face, afraid about privileges that we may lose, afraid about the kind of society that our kids and our grandkids might grow up in. 
And that fear often produces one of two responses. Either we fight like crazy to try and prevent that change from happening, or we keep our heads down and we disengage from those around us for fear of the consequences. But listen again to what Paul says in verse 14. And if you have your Bibles open, please do uh, look down with me at Philippians 1 verse 14. Paul says something here that I find remarkable. He says that most of the brothers and sisters, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Now I find that confusing, don't you? Paul was in prison, most probably in Rome. He had lost his privileges. He had had his freedoms taken away, literally. The culture around him was hostile, literally. And yet, as he shared his story, the church was filled with boldness rather than fear. That's not what I think we would expect. If we were writing this, I think we would expect Paul to write something like, the believers have become confident in the Lord and are sharing the word of God boldly because of my release, not because of my imprisonment. I think we need to figure out how this works, brothers and sisters. Because if this is where we are going, if this is what lies ahead for Christians in the United States, a loss of freedom and privilege, then how are you going to avoid discouragement? How are you going to not only keep going with Jesus, but thrive as you serve and follow him? You know, this is maybe one way that we in the, uh, as the church in the UK can really serve and help you through partnership. We've gone through uh, loss of freedoms and privilege. We know what it is like to live in a culture that is thoroughly hostile to the gospel. Growing up, I was the only kid in my school who came from a Christian family. The only one. That was not easy, let me tell you. Uh, and I know how hard it is to... Uh, to try and avoid being thoroughly discouraged by that, rather than emboldened by how hard uh, it can become. But I think the key that we see here in Philippians 1 is to look beyond the immediate adverse circumstances that Paul was facing and that we might face, because alongside the stories of loss of freedom and privilege, we also have stories to tell of the gospel advancing, of God at work. And what that does is it helps us to appreciate that Jesus is all we need. That's what I want us to hear and believe once again this morning, church. Jesus is all we need. We have affirmed that together already this morning. Solus Christus, Christ alone. Now that might sound like such a simple message, for a church that is 130 years old. But I know it's the message that I constantly need to be reminded of. As Brian's already said, we planted Trinity Church in the midst of uh, the COVID-19 pandemic when the whole of our society was shut down. We planted into the northern part of the city of Manchester 
which has had hardly any thriving gospel churches for decades. We've planted in one of the most culturally liberal, hedonistic, secular cities in the UK. And let me tell you, in all honesty and transparency, over the past three years, I have found many different ways to complete the sentence, all I need is. All I need is a venue to meet in. All I need is, for, is money to pay the bills. All I need is creativity to figure out how to reach the unreachable. All I need is more people to come to our meetings. All I need is that person to like me. All I need is for my kids to be happy. All I need, all I need, all I need. See, what Paul tells us, friends, is that we can be rotting in a Roman prison, but if Jesus is there with us, then we have everything we could need and more to fulfill our purpose, our calling, and our mission. See how Jesus, in his sovereignty, uses all of the adversity we face to see the gospel advance. Paul says there in verses 12 and 13 that his imprisonment resulted in the whole imperial guard and many others hearing the message of Jesus. You can imagine these guys guarding him and Paul saying, listen guys, whilst I've got you here, let me tell you about Jesus. Oh, how we can rest when our hearts truly believe that Jesus Christ is the sovereign Lord of history. He works all things, all things, to achieve his purposes of saving people from their sins. Even the sufferings and weaknesses of his people. He sent Paul into that prison so that he would open his mouth and speak of Christ. Brothers and sisters, let me ask you today, where will the sovereign Lord send you? Where has he sent you already? To what depths? With what adversity? In what sorrow? For what loss? Friends, I don't know the history of this church well, but surely, surely, the past 130 years has been marked with tears and trials and terrors and fruitfulness. As Jesus has sent this body of believers where you needed to be, despite the cost, to make him known. Friends, what chains must we yet bear to declare the glories of the chain breaker? What indignities must we yet suffer to declare to the world that the one who humbled himself to death on a cross is the one whom we follow through death to exalted resurrection? Let's speak it to our souls today. All we need is Christ. C.S. Lewis once famously wrote, he who has Christ and all else has no more than he who has Christ alone. Friends, the reason why our partnership is so important is that 
as we share our stories, we help one another see Jesus better. That's what Paul was doing here for the early church. And as a result, notice with me again, that the believers' confidence grew, not in themselves and in their own abilities. Oh my goodness, when will evangelicals start to realize that our confidence does not lie in ourselves and in our budgets and in our ideas and in our own abilities? Their confidence grew in the Lord. Our weakness, our failure, our adversity shows us that that is where our true confidence lies. Because in weakness and adversity, he was sustaining and empowering and upholding Paul. And therefore he could uphold and sustain and empower everyone else too. One of the reasons why we are so afraid of decline and adversity and a post-Christian culture is because we think that we need all of this. And this is beautiful and I love it. And frankly, if the, if the musicians and the choir wanna come, come over to Manchester for a missions trip and wanna lead us in worship, you come. That's a, that was not in my notes, but um, <laughs> I'll just leave that with you. We think that we need all this to sustain us and empower us to see the gospel go forward and people come to faith. Brothers and sisters, solus Christus, Jesus is all we need. I was speaking a while back to one of my pastor friends back in the UK. We were discussing how to do ministry in a post-Christian culture. And you know, as, as pastors, and we'll be doing this in a, in a few days time uh, here, in the US, we spend time together talking about how to engage and, uh, with, with a changing cultural context. Those are good conversations to have. But after sharing different ideas, he said to me, you know, all of that is important, but the most important thing is that our people have a massive view of Jesus Christ. You know, the longer I do this, the more I realize he is so right. When we see Jesus working despite adverse circumstances, we realize that our hope, our joy, our life, our future is not founded on nor dependent upon our circumstances, but upon Christ alone. That is what Paul is teaching us this morning. And that's what I've been constantly challenged to learn and relearn growing up in a culture that has moved away from the gospel. That's what I was challenged to relearn back in March of 2020. We had spent two years preparing to launch a church plant. We picked June 2020 as the perfect time to do that. Do you know that no one has written a book on how to plant a church during a global pandemic when you can't get within two meters of someone? How are you supposed to tell them about Jesus? March 2020 came along. We were three months out from planting Trinity Church. The team was ready, the finances were in place, the venue was secured, the evangelism programs were prepared, and then the entire country closed down due to COVID-19 for over a year. We didn't meet in person for the entire first year of our church's existence because no venues would open up to us, no venues would rent us a space. Now, did I like that? Was it fun? No. 
Were there days when I was sat in my house wondering what on earth I was doing? Yes. It was difficult. But was it terminal? No, it was not. Because Jesus was with us. And he is all we need. It's now almost 16 months since we launched in-person meetings. On our first week, we had about 25 adults and a handful of kids in a room that seats about 200. Let's just say it felt empty. Then the next week, we baptized a lady who had started attending online during lockdown. And she invited 120 of her friends. It was very stressful. (laughs) But it was great. And each week, we have had new faces, new stories. Currently, we're around about 80 to 90 adults per week every Sunday. And we're just seeing Jesus do amazing things. Famished believers are being woken up as the Holy Spirit feeds them with the word, many of them for the first time in years. One lady came up to me weeping the second week she was in church and said, thank you so much for preaching the Bible. Friends, don't underestimate the privilege that you have of sitting under biblical pastoral ministry each week. You are blessed in ways that many Christians are not. The unchurched, the de-churched, they're with us and they're seeking. We're partnering with community groups to run a food bank, to love those who are struggling financially at this time. We're engaging with the Muslim community around us. We have a very large Pakistani Muslim population just down the road and we're starting to figure out ways of how to do life with them, build friendships, tell them about Jesus. Last year we got to know a guy in his 40s through my kids' school actually and after a few months of sharing the gospel with him, he professed faith and we baptized him earlier this summer and now his unbelieving wife and kids are coming along to church every week. I still think she hasn't got a clue what on earth is going on with her husband, but I think she likes it. He's becoming the kind of husband she always wanted him to be. You see, what's going on in the midst of adversity in a post-Christian culture? What are we seeing? We're seeing that Jesus is still all that we need. You know, the heart of gospel partnership, the heart of church partnership is not transactional. It's relational. We have become family through the death and resurrection of Christ. That's why I love, actually, when I come to the United States. I mean, that and football and burgers and all that kind of good stuff as well. But mainly what I love is that I travel thousands of miles around the world and I meet with family wherever I go. It's a beautiful thing. That's what the death and resurrection of Christ has done for us. And as we tell each other our stories of what Jesus is doing in our midst, the Spirit uses our testimony to build in each of us a greater confidence in the Lord as we serve him together. Because what do we see in our stories? We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, through Christ alone, 
according to the scriptures for the glory of God alone. Brothers and sisters, let us continue to serve one another well. Let's share our stories of what Jesus is doing. And we don't need to do that globally either. Share your stories with one another too. Let me encourage you, take off the mask. Stop pretending everything's great. I know it's not. Speak honestly about how God is using weakness and adversity in your lives. Because what that does is it exalts the glory and the goodness of Jesus. May God use and bless us and our partnership that lies ahead so that regardless of what the future holds, we would be confident in the Lord and boldly speak his word without fear. Let me pray for us. Father, we have heard your word this morning. And we know that you call us not to be afraid, but to be bold. Because truly, Jesus is all we need. Spirit of God, work these things into our hearts, into our minds. Help us not to fear adversity and weakness, but help us see them as opportunities to exalt the one who has gone through death to exalted, resurrected life. This is the path of the cross. This is what it means to follow you, Lord Jesus. And I pray that we would help one another to do that well. And I ask these things, Jesus, in your name. Amen.